Well, thank you, worship team. Uh, so good to be drawn into the presence of the Lord. We need to be in his presence in days like this. Um, you know, we're on our 40th, we're, we're going through 40 days of prayer. We're on our 21st day, and uh, it seems like uh, it's gone pretty fast. It has for me. But uh, we have 20 more days, so if you have not yet signed up, there's still time to sign up and get involved with praying and seeking the Lord in this season that we're in right now. It will do something profound in your life. It will draw you closer into the presence of the Lord, and it will give you the peace that you need and the security that you need and a sense that God is in control, something that we all need in our lives in this time. You know, in many ways, the world, uh, the nation, Always, it seems to be unraveling and then raveling back up again and then unraveling. It's the pandemic is getting better and then it's getting worse and then it's getting better and now it's getting worse. It's kind of like sometimes discouraging. But I'm telling you, for the church, for a believer, God calls us to enter into his peace. And today I want to talk to you about the deep peace of God. The peace of God that we can experience in our lives. The peace that we need that Jesus has promised to us, he wants us to experience. That peace is available to us when we make the Lord the center of our lives. When we make him our hiding place, our deliverer. You know, whenever I'm going through some anxiety or some difficulty in my life and I'm, I'm wondering what I could read in the Bible, what would help me and strengthen me, like Pastor Chi was saying last week, getting deeper into the Word of God, the place that I often land is in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms just helps me to uh, just renew my faith, to express my emotions, to be aware of, self-aware of what's going on inside my heart and then to talk to the Lord about it. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 91. And it says this, Psalm 91, 1 and 2, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You catch that? Whoever dwells in the shelter. That means anybody. That means you. That means I. We can dwell in the shelter of the Most High. We can draw closer to Him and we'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Have you ever felt as though you were in the shadow of someone? Usually that's a negative connotation. You know, I have to be in the shadow of that person because they're so much better than I am. But in this sense, it's a privilege to be in the shadow of of the King of Kings, the Almighty One, the One who is strong enough to keep us, to strengthen us, to be with us. And then it says, we can then proclaim the Lord. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's the God in whom I trust. I can trust in the Lord. See, the book of Psalms has a way of working itself into our life and into our experience, like all of God's Word. Someone that I admire that really lived out this verse is Johnny Erickson Tata. She had a traumatic accident 
when she was just 17 years of age. Can you imagine this? 17 years of age, a high school senior who's just running around, living her life in and out of school, going swimming with some friends. She dives into the water, and she wakes up in the hospital, and she's a quadriplegic. She can't move her legs. She can't move her arms. She can't even do anything except think about the tragedy she's just experienced. But in that tragedy, in that time in her life, and if you've ever read her biography, in that time, she cries out to God. At first, after thinking about suicide, and she can't even kill herself, she said, was so frustrating, she couldn't even, if she wanted to, she couldn't kill herself. But then at that moment in her life, she turns to Christ, and she surrenders her life to the Lord. And the Lord begins to work in her a peace and a presence and a purpose for living in the midst of her affliction. You know, I saw her uh, in a pastor's conference about five years ago. And it was in this conference that she was conducting a healing service for our denomination. She was the main speaker in the healing service. The one who was not healed was ministering healing to other people. She had just gone in remission from cancer, breast cancer. And I read a few years later that the cancer came back and she had to go through more chemo. And then she was in remission, then it was in remission again. And just recently, this last uh, month, Johnny Erickson Tata experienced COVID-19. And I want you to hear her testimony right now of what, and how, of what she experienced and how she dealt with it. Listen to this. As you know, I've been struggling with COVID, and I thank you for praying me up and out of it. Although, I don't know, maybe you can tell my lungs are telling me I'm not quite in the clear. Being a quadriplegic, it was so hard to breathe, especially at night in bed. And when I was told I had COVID, I thought, this is a death sentence, but my disability had already taught me how to carry even this cross. For when I trusted him to see me through, even if it did yes mean death, when I, when I gave it all up to him, I, I could feel God take gentle, firm possession of this strange affliction and, and begin to do a work in me. It was as though the Lord pressed me, Johnny, do you believe me that I will never leave you or forsake you? That I am your ever-present help in this trouble? That doubting me only makes things worse? Do you, do you believe my grace is sufficient, whether I take you home or uh, assign you to remain? Do you trust me? And in the dark, in bed, I cried out, yes, Lord, I believe. And then in the ensuing hours and days, I felt this wonderfully odd calmness and almost indifference to how much it might hurt or how it would end. And I felt perfectly still under the hand of God. He pulled me close into a shelter and I, I felt myself resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And it felt blessed. G.D. Watson once wrote, he said, 
when the suffering soul reaches a calm, sweet carelessness, when it can inwardly smile at its own suffering and not even ask to be delivered, then it works its blessed ministry. Then the cross you carry begins to weave itself into a crown. You see how Johnny overcame this crisis in her life? Her testimony can teach us about how to deal with our struggles. She came to honestly surrender her life and her future to God again and again, and this time she was feeling as though she would die. She chose to seek God in the midst of her turmoil, in the midst of her affliction. And God gave her a deep peace and understood again his love for her that she could surrender even her life to him. You know, she did not just stay in that peace, uh, find that peace in Christ and just keep it to herself. She has started a global ministry that reaches out to thousands and even millions of people with disabilities all across the world. God has used her in a tremendous way. She's now 70 years old, and she's still being used by God to, to proclaim the gospel and to help people in need. The passage of Scripture I'd like us to look at today has to do with dealing with our anxieties, our fears, our afflictions, our struggles. And it's written by the Apostle Paul, and it has application for our life. I know Johnny Erickson, I'm sure she leaned into this verse and lived it all her life. Listen to it. Listen to it and, and read it along with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers in the city of Philippi, the same place where years earlier he was arrested, stripped, beaten, severely flogged, and left in chains, and then thrown into a prison, all because he freed a woman in slavery. She was a slave who had made a lot of money for her owner. She exercised a demon. She, Paul exercised a demon out of her, and she could no longer channel that de demonic spirit to tell the future. These men got so upset, they bring Paul before the law officers, and the slave owners rile up the crowd, pointing out that Paul and Silas are Jews, not Romans. They pick on their ethnicity, their religion. It's a racial discrimination happening in the first century and going on right there, and it riles up the crowd's hatred towards them. And look at what it says in Acts chapter 16. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, and severely flogged actually means that uh, they were beaten so badly that they were bleeding. And they were thrown into prison, and the jailer commanded, the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, and when he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. I don't think any of us has experienced anything like that, that kind of unjust treatment. But what Paul did in that situation with his co-worker Silas is amazing. 
and it's applicable to us all. He was praying in his struggle. He was dealing with the things that were happening to him, the pain, the affliction he was feeling. It could have been the end of the road for Paul. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know if he was going to get out alive. And he was rejoicing, and he was singing in his struggle. And what did he experience? He experienced the presence of God in his life. Deep peace in this affliction. Before the miracle, in his suffering, while he's waiting on God to intervene, He's experiencing the peace of God. And how do we know that this is happening? How do we know it's happening? Because around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So here they are. The miracle has not happened. They haven't been released. But in the midst of their affliction, they're rejoicing, they're singing, they're praying, they're committing themselves a God who loves them and cares for them and is able to do whatever he wants with their life. If I put myself in Paul's place, I mean, think about it. I can't get past stripped, let alone beaten, and then sent to prison unjustly. I mean, I can lose my peace just watching the latest news clips that are filled with injustice. I can lose my peace just thinking about an unfair bill, a hospital bill, or a uh, traffic jam ticket that comes back to you and you got $80 you got to pay. I, I lose my peace over that thing. I lose my peace if the Buffalo Bills lose the AFC championship this tonight. So what's going on? How do we get so uh, off from God and, and full of anxiety? But here's Paul and Silas. They are in deep peace and the presence of God. In fact, they're, they're expressing joy along with peace. But look at it gets even better than this. While they're singing, God sends a violent earthquake to the jail, and the prison doors fling open. The chains come off Paul and Silas and the other prisoners. But wait a second, it gets even better than this. The prison guards who threw them in the deepest part of the prison, who were sworn, who was sworn to protect them with his life and and uh, place them in prison with his life, is ready to kill himself because he knows he'll face execution if they escape. And he's ready to fall on his sword, and all of a sudden, Paul says, stop, don't do it. But it gets even better than this. Paul then explains the gospel to him. Instead of pouring out his resentment and anger for being unjustly treated and beaten, Paul shows love. How does that happen? But it gets even better than this. The jailer turns to Christ, invites Paul to his home. He bandages up Paul and Silas's wounds, cleans them, bandages them, gives them food, and Paul and Silas explain the gospel to his family and his whole household, and they all get baptized that night. I mean, that is an amazing turn of events. You see, when we have the peace of God in our lives, we can then become a peacemaker. We can then be used by God to help other people experience peace. But first, it has to begin with us. And that's why Paul writes in verse 6 of Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. Can you get that? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, Every circumstance, everything that you're going through, by prayer, 
and petition. With thanksgiving, you present your request to God. You present your request to God because you know in your heart that he is a God who loves you and cares for you. And so even in your affliction, even when you can't understand why something is happening, we still can bring it to God and even say that, God, I don't know what's happening here, but I trust you for the future. It's not that God delivers us out of every situation. I'm not saying that. But he promises something far greater than that. He promises us his peace that passes or transcends all understanding while we're going through our struggles. Look at verse 7, and the peace of God. That's what it says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It's a deeper peace than we've ever experienced before. It transcends logic and understanding. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, it's not some meditation trick. It is in a relationship with Jesus Christ that the peace of God comes into our lives and guards us and keeps us and strengthens us. That's what Johnny experienced when she became a quadriplegic facing suicidal thoughts battling cancer, and then COVID, she found peace, she found hope, she found purpose in Christ. Jesus talked about this peace being applied to us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the disciples experienced, but it's also something that every one of us can experience. Look at what John chapter 14, verse 16 says, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible, but the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying this to you and I. He will teach you all things and he'll help you remember everything that I've ever told you. Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit would come like an advocate, somebody that would come alongside us, that we would be in his presence, that we would be under his shadow, that he would be dwelling within us as well. And our responsibility is to come and acknowledge that and come before God, and, but God's responsibility and his ability is to then fill us with his peace, which is far greater. And then look at what the next verse says. Jesus introduces this idea of peace. Peace I leave with you, verse 27. My perfect peace I give to you. That's a peace that is complete and full. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance, and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Isn't that beautiful? God gives us the strength and the courage for every challenge that we will face. The peace of God that surpasses understanding is available to every believer. He gives that to us, and he wants us to experience that. Isn't that beautiful that God gives us that peace, that he promises that to us. Somebody was asked, how do you describe peace? 
Pastor Louis Calderon tells a story to illustrate this. There was a painting contest that was held where participants were asked to illustrate the essence or capture the essence of peace. And the participants used their imagination to think, uh, to draw, to make a painting and to uh, capture what peace is. And many of them drew a, a beautiful sunset or uh, a seascape. Uh, some of them drew a, a, a pair of doves uh, flying into the sunset. Other ones uh, showed uh, landscaping. But there was one that won the competition. And the one that won the competition was a picture of a large rushing waterfall. And a little bird was sort of behind the waterfall on a branch sitting there singing. Even in the midst of the waterfall. See, peace is not the absence of noise, of problems, of illnesses, of adversities, but it's the absolute peace and rest despite them. God wants us to experience his peace. The only thing that is lacking, I think, in that whole picture and illustration is that it's, it's a still life, a snapshot of the peace of God. And the peace of God does not just stay with us one moment. The peace of God fills us or should fill us throughout our day and comes with us because the Holy Spirit is in us and manifesting that peace throughout our day. You see, that bird needs not just to stand, stay there all of its life. It needs to fly off and find food. It probably needs to come back. If it's going to build a nest and have uh, a family, it needs to feed its family. And so in the midst of the waterfall, in the midst of the roaring, of the midst of the noise, in the midst of all the things that are around it, that bird knows its strengths and it knows its limitations and it, it knows its purpose. And in the same way, God wants us to understand that in our day and age today. You know, we celebrate, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. And he was a man of peace, but he was also a man of purpose and action. He had the peace of God in his life, but he was also a peacemaker. He saw the injustice of his day. He got involved in nonviolent protests against injustice and racism. He got involved with helping the oppressed and the persecuted and those who did not have the civil rights of other people. Much of the civil rights movement, if you think about it and you study about it, it was born out of a sustained prayer and worship and singing and coming into the presence of God. That was the only way people that were marching could have the courage to be able to actually lay down their life for the cause that they believed in. And so Martin Luther King was a man of prayer. He was a man who sought God and he's a man that motivated people to do it peacefully, and he had the courage to do it. But he was hated by many. He was loved by millions, and even his family was threatened with their very life many times. And in 1964, at the age of 35, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for his civil rights work. Four years later, while standing on the balcony of a motel, he was shot and killed for the same reason. 
The night before he was assassinated, he gave a speech that was partly prophetic, but one that I think evidenced the peace of God in the midst of his enemies. And I want you to listen to it right now. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine Martin Luther King displayed somebody that had the peace of God in their life in the midst of the roar and the turmoil of his world. And yet, he just didn't stay to himself. He just didn't hide in that peace. He faced the challenges with a heart and with a mind that was full of conviction. You see, peace, the peace of God, is our foundation to then take action. Jesus calls us to join his revolutionary missionary movement of bringing shalom peace to a broken world. Maybe it's just one person at a time. I'm sure Johnny Erickson Tata and the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther King, they all began with one person at a time sharing that peace with others. But then it turned into something much bigger and much greater in their, in their life than they ever imagined. Their ministry became global. It touched many, many lives. But you see that they minister, and they always ministered out of the peace of God that they first experienced in their life. And this was the foundation for their life and their purpose. And it can be the foundation for our life and purpose as well. I remember there was a season of transition that I was in in my life when I was not, not experiencing much peace at all. And uh, I, had, I was in a transition of ministry, and I remember stopping at Ken and Lynn Gannett's house. You may know them. Uh, they've been, they were at our retreats years ago, and they would pray for people. But I remember going to their house, kind of distraught, kind of full of anxiety, not sure what my next transition step should be in ministry, and I was unsure, and I had been offended and hurt by people, and I just was in this very, very bad place. And I began to share with them what was going on in my life. I opened up to them, and they spoke words of wisdom, and they were able to show me where I was not placing my trust in God at all. And then they prayed for me. And after they prayed for me, I sensed the presence and the peace of God 
that renewed and restored you. You know, there's times in our life when we need other people to pray for us. We need people to come alongside us. The Holy Spirit is there, but he creates a family of faith that we would be together, that we would pray for one another, that we'd share each other's burdens, that we would come together. And even in this time of COVID, uh, we can't physically come together, but we can come together online. We can come together during a prayer meeting. We can come together when we call one another on the phone. We can come together when we send a text to somebody and just remind them that we're praying for them or we can share our burden with somebody. God wants us to do that. Because when we don't, we do not experience the deep peace that he has for us. And I want to encourage you to seek that deep peace. It'll make a difference in your life. What does the word peace mean? It's actually in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It means completeness, security, safety, a sense of well-being both externally and internally, and I will add eternally. The kind of peace that Martin Luther King Jr. experienced even the night before his death. He said he saw the promised land. He saw beyond what was happening right then and there. And you know, as a believer, as a Christian, you can know for sure that when you die, when you're absent from this body, you will be in eternity with the living, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good to know? You know, I want to give you a few action steps so that you can apply this, uh, this lesson on peace into your life. First one is this. Ask the Lord to manifest a deeper peace in your life. Just ask him. He wants to do that in our lives. And in the midst of that, uh, spend time with him. Uh, more than just a little arrow prayer that you shoot up. Spend time in his presence. Get into his word. Find the promise that's for you. Maybe it's in the book of Psalm. Maybe it's in this passage in Philippians chapter 4. But read it slowly and let it sink into your soul and then live it out, lean into it, and live it out. Acknowledge, and number two, acknowledge and confess your anxieties and fears or unbelief. You know, it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to let him know what you're feeling. He wants you to express that to him. And then receive from him his promises. Receive from him his perspective as you read the word of God as you talk with others, as you share your burdens with others. And then commit yourself to living a life filled with this peace and becoming a peacemaker. Become a peacemaker. I'm not saying become a peace faker. I don't want you to just say, uh, you know, live in, a, in the fairyland. No, you want to be a peacemaker. You want God to make peace with you and be at peace with yourself and at peace with God but then you want to be a tool, an instrument to, to share his peace with others, to share his love with others, even with those that uh, are, uh, offend, uh, have offended you. God wants you to be the peacemaker. He's able to do that in our lives. He's able to give us then a reason and a purpose to help others and care for others when we're experiencing his peace. You know, when we're full of anxiety, a lot of times we're just thinking about ourselves, aren't we? 
But when we have the peace of God, we're able then to look out beyond ourselves, beyond our, beyond our nose, and look out at other people and see their need and meet it. I want to end with this one uh, this uh, passage in Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 through 27. But, uh, and I've also asked the worship team to sing the song, The Blessing. But while they're singing that song, I pray that the words of that song will impact you, that you will make those words yours. And they come from Scripture. Listen what it says in uh, Numbers 6, 23 through 27. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Pray that you will experience the peace of God today as you come into his presence, as you humble yourself before him, as you give him every anxiety and every situation that you're struggling with. Let's pray. Father God, have your way today. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We bow before your authority. We find ourselves under the shadow of your wing. You are the Almighty One. We find ourselves in your presence. We want to serve you. We want to love you more. And we want to experience your peace. We ask that you will establish us in your peace deeply so that from that place we can minister your peace to other people. We ask this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.